Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 to 19. This is God's word. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. This is God's word. When I was studying at Bible college, uh, in my first um, period of studies five years ago, I studied a course. One of my first subjects was Christianity and culture, which was looking at Christianity through the lens of all of the various different cultures. Christianity through the lens of a Southeast Asian um, culture, Christianity through a Middle Eastern lens, an African lens, looking at all of the various cultures and how Christianity has been shaped and how we relate to the different cultures. and one of the questions that was brought up that we had to write a paper on was what language does God speak? What language does God speak? Does God speak Hebrew, the language of the Old Testament? Does he speak Greek, the language of the New Testament? Does he speak Aramaic, which would have been the language that Jesus would have spoken when he was in Palestine walking on this earth? Does God speak a heavenly language that none of us can speak, yet all of us can understand? Uh, we don't ultimately know what language God speaks, though many people would like to know this. I think many people would actually like to know the question of if God has spoken. You've probably come across people asking in frustration, wrestling with existential crises or uh, questions of purpose in life, and they've sort of said in frustration, well, if God is real, why doesn't he reveal himself? And what they're saying is, why doesn't he announce himself? Why doesn't he communicate with the world what he wants us to know? Why doesn't he show himself? And of course, we know God has. He has communicated to the world. We don't know exactly what language God speaks, but we know that he has spoken. So this is the big question for us today. How does God speak to the world? How has God spoken to the world through all of human history? And that's what this passage is talking about, how God speaks to his people. So in our passage in Deuteronomy 18, if you look just before verse 15, from verse 9, God is speaking to the people um, still in the wilderness, his people as they're about to enter the promised land, and he is warning them not to listen to other people. So this is about communication. And God is saying, don't listen to foreign nations who are going to speak to you and who are going to try and lure you into all types of wickedness. The wickedness we have here is things like burning their sons and daughters and offering them to God to one of the gods and, and the God, the true God, the God of Israel saying, don't listen to these people. Don't be led astray by those who practice divination, tell fortunes, interpret omens, engage in any form of sorcery or attempt to consult with the spirit world. 
what's this talking about? It's God saying, don't listen to anyone who is trying to effectively put themselves in the place of God to have some form of supernatural knowledge that I have not ordained to try and interpret all sorts of mysterious ways to sort of have this alluring sense of something supernatural about them. It's people trying to either put themselves in the place of God or go simply beyond what God had prescribed for how he is going to communicate with his people. So this is God warning the people not to listen to these people. And he actually says they are an abomination to me. And anyone who does these sorts of things is an abomination to me. He says, instead, you shall be blameless, which means that you shall follow my commands. And the way in which the people would hear what God's God's commands are and how they would therefore be blameless is the way in which God has communicated with them. And here in this passage, God is saying, I will communicate to you through a prophet. I will raise up for you a prophet. So verse 15, the Lord says, I will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses um, here recording this. So I will raise up for you a prophet like Moses from among you, from your brothers, and it is to him you shall listen. This is God saying, I'm not going to leave you in the dark. I'm going to communicate to you. I'm not going to hide myself so that I'm not knowable. I'm actually going to reveal myself to you and reveal my will and my commandments, and I will do it through a prophet. So if this is how God promises to instruct his people, then what exactly was the prophet? How were they supposed to communicate the message? And we see very clearly in verse 18, if you look at verse 18, God says, I'll raise up this prophet, and what I'm going to do is put my words in his mouth, And he shall speak to them all that I command him. The prophet is quite simply to speak on behalf of God, to be a messenger of God, a mouthpiece even. And the natural pattern we see in scripture is that God calls someone to himself and then he commissions them and says, I've got a message for you. I want you to preach to a particular people. And that's the pattern. Like Jeremiah, if you remember one of the famous prophets, Jeremiah, and very early on in the first chapter, Jeremiah is introduced and we hear, we we get this insight into God calling Jeremiah. And God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. That is, I set you apart for a particular purpose. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So there are no self-appointed prophets. There are no people who just say, I might be a prophet. That sounds like a pretty lavish occupation, telling people what God wants. Certainly going to put me in the spotlight. There's no self-appointed prophets. It's people who God has specifically come and called and commissioned, and they are a very rare people. False prophets were a dime a dozen. There were plenty of prophets to choose from. But true prophets were those who were called by God for a particular purpose at a particular time. And therefore, they were a very rare people. And their role was simply to communicate God's message. And as we see through the history of the Old Testament, often it was met with much opposition. Being a true prophet didn't win you many friends. Now, there is a fundamental point here in this passage as to why 
In this context, God promises to raise up someone to communicate on his behalf. There's one particular reason as to why God says, I'm going to raise up a prophet. And that is in order to bridge the gap between a sinful people and a holy God. That's the main reason here. The prophet is to act as a mediator between this holy God of Israel, who is totally righteous and perfect in all his ways, and then this imperfect, rebellious, stubborn people who he's trying to communicate with. So if we look at verses 16 and 17, this is where we see the reason why God is actually going to raise up a prophet. He says, I'm going to raise up this prophet. You'll listen to him. Verse 16, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. So to get the full picture, we need to go back to Exodus right before God was going to give the 10 words, the, the 10 commandments as we know them to the people as he brought them out of Egypt in stunning fashion. And then they're at Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. And in Exodus 19 and 20, we read that uh, God was about to give his instructions to the people. And what happens at this point is there are thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the, cramp, in the camp trembled. The mountain was actually wrapped in smoke and the mountain was actually trembling. Just imagine, imagine that standing at the foot of this, this mountain, it's on fire, there's thunder and lightning. I mean, it's, it's awe-inspiring when we see lightning and thunder from a long distance away. Imagine it right there at this mountain and it's literally shaking and you know that this God is about to come down and give his instructions to you as to how you are to live now that he has saved you out of Egypt. You would be trembling. The mountains are shaking, there's fire, there's this trumpet sound getting louder and louder as God is descending on the mountain. And the Lord actually says in Exodus 19.21 to Moses, he says, warn these people not to come any closer or they will perish. I mean, these are the people that God has saved, but God is very clearly saying to Moses, don't let them come any closer or my wrath will break out against them. They'll perish, they'll die instantly. This is a fantastic picture of God's absolute holiness. There is no sin in him at all. He knows nothing of an impure thought. Absolute purity, utter perfection. And because he is perfectly just, he has to punish imperfection. He has to punish sin because he is a right and good judge. He has to punish it unless there is some form of atonement, some covering to cover the people. Like we went over last week, the blood of the lamb that covers and averts God's wrath. So you can imagine being an Israelite at the base of the mountain and let's put all our pride aside and just admit that we would be absolutely trembling, trembling at this sight. And so they rightly say, right, Moses, we're going to do everything you say. We'll talk to you. Just don't let this God talk to us directly again or we will die. And notice in our passage in Deuteronomy 18, in recalling the event, God says they are right in what they say. They are right. 
I, I can't condescend completely to them in all of my holiness without complete atonement or they will die. So there must be someone else to speak on my behalf. There must be a mediator. So the main problem in a very simple way is that we have a holy God and this holy God wants to communicate with his people, but his people are sinful and rebellious and that creates a gap. And the problem we have is how does God bridge that gap to, to communicate to his people without having them all perish as he condescends to them? And the mediator in the form of a prophet is to bridge the gap. And the mediator theme is all the more clearer because God specifically says in this passage, I'm going to raise up a prophet like Moses. Who was Moses? He, he was a mediator. He stood in between the people constantly. He averted the wrath of God when God said, right, I'm going to wipe out these people. And Moses says, no, no, no. Think of what the Egyptians will think of you if you wipe out this people. Don't do it. He stood in their place in between the people and God. He constantly mediated. He acted as an, an intercessor. He was also from the tribe of Levi, which is the priestly tribe. So this prophet is to be like Moses, where he will stand in between God and his people in order to bridge that gap so that God's message can come to the people so that they can know how they are to live in light of this God who has saved them. Now, God's promise here in Deuteronomy 18 is fulfilled in a line of prophets that follows this. We know there are many prophets that follow this. God continuously raised up prophet after prophet to speak to his people. Prophets like Jonah, who would go to a foreign nation to preach to them, but who would also be symbolic of um, Israel, who had failed in their um, missionary purpose. So he had a dual uh, symbolism there in both preaching to a foreign nation and actually being a rebuke to Israel. You had prophets like Isaiah, who preached before the exile, and then Zechariah, who preached during and after the exile as they were trying to rebuild. And you had all of these prophets all the way up until John the Baptist, right in the time of Christ, who Jesus actually refers to as a prophet, because he was preparing the way, he was announcing the way of the Messiah. And all of these prophets acted as mediators in a way because they stood in between the people and God communicating God's message. So a big question for us now is, is this still how God speaks to us? Does God speak to us through a prophet? Is he going to raise up prophet after prophet every generation to continue speaking to us? And we have the answer, I think, very clearly to this in really many passages in the New Testament, particularly in the letter to the Hebrews. In the start of Hebrews, uh, from chapter 1, verse 1, we read the author saying, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days... He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So this is uh, God communicating to his people 
through the author to the letter of Hebrews, to, to to the Hebrews. And he says, the author here says, yes, God spoke in the past in many ways and at many times through prophets. But now in these last days, and the last days is just the period between Christ's first coming and his second coming. We've been in the last days as Peter quotes Joel at Pentecost and says, this is happening now 2000 years ago. We've been in the last days because it's the last period of time before Christ comes. We are in the last days and in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He has spoken to all. God has spoken to to all human history by his son. And this is totally consistent with our passage with what God said thousands of years before in saying, I will raise up for you another prophet like Moses. And I will put, so God actually says in verse 18, I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Now, remember what Jesus says in his ministry as he is speaking to the people. And for example, in John 14, he says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. That's what Jesus is saying. My father has put his word in my heart and in my mouth, and now I'm speaking it to you. Just as God sent his prophets to communicate his word, which he placed in them, God, the Father sends the Son to communicate his word to his people, communicating the way of salvation once and for all. So this here in the author of Hebrews saying, previously God spoke through prophets, yes, but now he has spoken in his Son, is basically him saying God has spoken finally and completely in his Son. This is the last word from God to humanity. He has spoken in his Son, Jesus Christ. Who better to communicate God's will than God himself in the flesh? And this is the astonishing reality of what God has done by sending his Son. See, get this. He not only communicates his message to the world, but he also solves the problem that we see in this passage here where there's a trembling people saying, God, don't speak to us. We'll die. And so God says, I'll raise up another prophet. In speaking in his son, God both communicates to the world and he solves the problem of a sinful people trembling before God because he sends his son as the atoning sacrifice. And this was the big problem. They had nothing to completely atone. They had nothing to cover them. So God's wrath was going to break out against them. And Jesus becomes the mediator who would draw his people in by his sacrificial substitutionary death on the cross to avert the wrath of God, to bring us into a relationship with our Father without the same terror that the people had there of not being able to go near God. Now we have a fear that drives us to God. We want to be near him. We want to be at his feet. Jesus lives the life that we could not. He takes the punishment we deserve so that we could then receive the life we do not deserve. He brings us in. So in an amazing way, God both speaks to us directly in Jesus and he solves the problem that the people had of being terrified of this holy God because it's God revealing himself saying, hey, 
I'm going to provide a way for you to come into my presence, to approach my throne of mercy without that terror, with a childlike fear and a great love. So what is the main message? If this is God speaking in his son, what is the main message that he says? What is God saying? What is God the Father saying when he sends his son? It's God speaking to all of human history once and for all, saying there is a way for salvation. There is a way to know the God who created everything, to know him intimately, to have a sense of communion, to be reconciled, to know your purpose. There is a way for that. There is a way for forgiveness and covering the removal of sin and shame and guilt to be restored. Like that's the message that God is saying. There's a way for forgiveness. There's a way into relationship with me. And it is totally found in Jesus Christ. It's God's way of saying, so great is my love for you that I'm willing to send my son to die in your place, to suffer an agonizing death, that you would no longer be fearful and draw away, but that you would draw near to me. He has spoken in his son. This is the language. This was my answer to the Bible college question that I gave. I said, the language God speaks is Jesus. He speaks in his son. He has spoken once and for all in his son, Jesus Christ. And it's not like Jesus is just the softer version of God. That's the misconception in Hebrews, that passage we just read out where God speaks to the world. Notice it says in verse three, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That's like a term, the exact imprint. It's like the representative. It's what the uh, king would place his imprint on a coin or something. And it was meant to convey this idea of authenticity. It's genuine. Jesus is the exact imprint of his nature. It's why Jesus could say to the disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's not like Jesus is the softer version. No, he's God. We come to God the Father through God the Son because this is the way God has communicated. This is how we speak the language that God speaks is we hear and we come to God the Father through God the Son and receive mercy and forgiveness. And as we approach this God in Jesus, we approach God who says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is light. It's easy, as is my burden. God has spoken in his son, Jesus Christ. But before I finish, the way in which God speaks to us in his son also comes with a warning. So in verse 19, all the way back to our passage in Deuteronomy 18, in verse 19, God gives this warning and he says, whoever does not listen to the words I put in the prophet, I will require it of him. What does God mean when he says I will require it of him? Well, Jesus sheds a lot of light on this when he gives the parable of the rich fool. You may have heard this before where Jesus begins, uh, uh, well, two brothers come to him saying, hey, judge between us, who's going to get more out of the inheritance? And Jesus says, who made me an arbiter of you? And he says, life does not exist in an abundance of possessions. And he gives this parable of this rich fool. 
And he says there was this man who had a huge amount of wealth. He had a huge amount of resources, so much that he couldn't fit it all in his barn. So this rich wise guy said, oh, I know, I'll tear it down and I'll build this huge barn to keep all of my wealth and then I'll just rest and wait and just be merry and just be satisfied. And then Jesus says, but God came to him that night and said, you fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. And that's a scary thought. That's God actually coming and saying, you fool, you've built up treasure on earth. And tonight I'm demanding your life of you. That's what it's saying when he says your soul will be required of you. And so God here is saying to those who don't listen to my prophet, I will require their life. I will demand their soul. And since God has now spoken clearly to the world by sending his son to die in our place, this is God's final word. No second chances. God has raised up his final prophet. This was the ultimate fulfillment of this passage through the line of prophets all the way to Jesus, the final word of God, the word become flesh, the one who speaks on behalf of God. So a final question for us. We started with how has God spoken? And now I want us to just ask ourselves, how have we listened We know how God has spoken. He has spoken to us in his son. He has spoken to all of humanity, demonstrating his great love by sending his son to die on the cross and and also communicating his passion for his glory because he allows his son to suffer an excruciating death to say, this is how much I care about my glory and your sin defames my name, so I must punish it. He has communicated in that way, but... How have we listened? Have we listened as attentive children or have we listened more like stubborn children who you see sometimes, I was certainly like this, where you have your parent talking and you're kind of like listening a little bit, but you're not even looking at them. You're just playing around and you're sort of like, you know, in one ear, out the other. Is that how you've listened to God's message? No attentiveness. No sense of engaging, no sense of desire to be obedient to his word. See, another question for us to to help us answer this, to help us answer how have we listened, is very simply, is there evidence in your life that you have listened to God speaking to you? If we go back to the passage that Jesus says in John 14, he says, if anyone loves me, He will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Jesus is very clear here. It's fact. They will keep my word. Whoever loves me will. It'll be a demonstration of their love. It's not how they get my love. It's because they have my love and their demonstration that my love has been poured out into their hearts will be obedience. For some reason, we're very okay in this society with allowing people to live pseudo-Christian lives with like half-hearted commitment when Jesus is so clear to say, no, they will obey my commands. They'll obey me. There'll be a desire to know me. So is there evidence of obedience to the word? Is there evidence? Have we listened? Have we listened with attentive 
ears and attentive hearts. And though God has spoken in his final word, thankfully, until Christ comes again, there is still a day that we can turn and we can receive mercy and forgiveness. And so it may be the first time for you today, or it may just be a reorientation. And so I would just encourage you now, before we take the Lord's Supper together, to just have a moment to examine your life, examine the fruit in your life. Is there obedience to God's word? And then just listening. Not in some weird mystical way, like a voice is going to come out of the clouds. Maybe, who knows? I won't ever box God into my box of comfortability. But listening in your heart attentively for the word that has been spoken today to bring conviction and responding to that. I think a great sign that we are listening well is that there's a response it's not just like the message goes in one ear and out the other, but there's a desire to say, right, what do I do? How do I be more attentive? What practices can I have in my life to show that I desire to commune with my God, with my Savior?